Well, my birthday's at the end of the summer, and so just before my fifth birthday, my parents informed me that I would be going to school. Now, let me just tell you my expectations, because I grew up on the edge of the campus of the University of Kansas, so my frame of reference for schools was guys who were six foot tall, they carried backpacks, they drove cars, so somehow I got it in my mind that when I turned five, I was going to suddenly shoot up to six feet tall, I'd have a backpack full of books, and I would drive to my grade school campus and walk around from building to building to go to my classes. That was my expectation. So needless to say, my first day of kindergarten was a huge disappointment. (laughs) You know, life doesn't always work out the way we expect. A few weeks ago, we introduced Jeremiah, a prophet who lived 2,600 years ago. Jeremiah's story started out in dramatic fashion. We'll mention that in just a moment. But from that point on, he ended up experiencing a series of personal, professional, and spiritual disappointments. Now, when we introduced Jeremiah at the beginning of his professional career, we pointed out that it didn't begin the way you expect a career to begin. He didn't go to college, then interview for a job, take a job, start at the bottom, and work his way up. Instead, it started with a very unusual headhunter call, and that headhunter's call was from God himself. It was simple and straightforward. Let me read to you again what we read a few weeks ago in chapter 1, verse 5. God says to him, I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, and I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nation. nations. Now, that rattled Jeremiah's. I imagine it would any of us. For one, Jeremiah was young, probably in his early 20s, but maybe as young as in his late teens. And God wanted him to bring a message to the people, but it was one that they did not want to hear. So God reassured him. He said, speak for me. And then in verse 8, he said, don't be afraid of them, for I'm with you and I will rescue you. And then later in the chapter, he says, I'm going to toughen you up. He said, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall. These are metaphors. To stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. I will fight, I will, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And from that point on in the book, we get the sense that Jeremiah is able to do this, not because he's temperamentally suited. In fact, the way he's depicted, he seems to be a gentle and compassionate person by nature. He's not a fire breather. But while he didn't have a thick skin naturally, God thickened it. God helped him and sustained him along the way. Now, it's a dramatic beginning, although if you're like me, you've maybe once or twice or three times in your life craved an experience like that. When you're facing a big decision or trying to struggle with what way to go, it would be great to have God sort of open up the heavens and tell you exactly what to do. I felt like that from time to time. And not only that, God says to Jeremiah, when you do what I tell you to do, I'm going to be with you and protect you. I've wanted something like that. However, despite that spectacular start, the reality is that God gave Jeremiah a really hard job. The least of which is that God tells him up front that the people are not going to listen to him. Now let me just uh, share just a few snippets of how that happens, how that unfolds. In chapters 4 through 6, I'm just picking a couple of verses from each chapter to let you know how it was for Jeremiah to start doing this job God had given him to do. So, for example, in chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Oh, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart. My heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent, 
my people are fools. They don't know me. They're senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They do not know how to do good. Then in chapter 5, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, look around and consider, search your squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, that's one just and honest person, and then God says, I will forgive this city. And then skipping to chapter 6, he says this in verse 10, to whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. So he's told this really hard job, and nobody's going to listen. Jeremiah calls on them to grieve, to mourn, to repent, but they don't listen. And the consequence then is a really hard message, and that is the disaster's coming. So here's what Jeremiah is told by God um, in later in chapter 6. He says, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and rejected my law. This is what the Lord says. Look, an army is coming from the land of the north. A great nation is being stirred up from the ends of the earth. They are armed with bow and spear. They are cruel and show no mercy. So just imagine that you're Jeremiah. You've been given this job to be God's press secretary. And here's the message you're to say. You're to say, you know what? You're not doing the right thing, and I'm going to bring a disaster on you. So how do you think people would respond? Well, as you can imagine, they didn't respond very well. In fact, Jeremiah soon faced a very or a really dangerous situation. Now, a few weeks ago, we read a little bit from chapter 11. Chapter 11 is where Jeremiah criticizes the people for um, breaking an agreement that God had established with the nation 800 years earlier. It, the agreement was called a covenant, which means it's much more than a contract. In fact, it's God's initiation with his people. What he said is he would bless them, that is, all the nation of Israel, his chosen people, as long as they kept the terms of the agreement. But if the, so if they obeyed God and put him first, then things were going to go well. But if not, there would be consequences. And Jeremiah says, the last 800 years, you've been up and down, but right now you're really down. And so as a result of your disobedience, Jeremiah says that there's going to be judgment. And they decided that Jeremiah had to go. Somehow God tipped him off. So here's what it says in chapter 11, verse 19. Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. For at that time he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize they had plotted against me. So if you can imagine um, saying things people don't want to hear, you might not have many friends. And that's actually what happens to Jeremiah. Throughout the book, you only find two or three people that in some way or another seems clo- seem close to him. So Jeremiah found out that he was really alone. And he expresses how this felt in chapter 15, beginning with verse 15 says, Lord, you understand and remember and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. Your long-suffering, do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words come, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, that means the partiers, never made merry with them. Instead, he says, I sat alone because your hand was on me. A couple of years ago, we did a series here called Spiritual Urban Legends. We took on some of these little statements that are thrown around that sound true, but if you look at them more deeply, you find out that there at least is some, if not quite a bit of falsehood in them. And one of those legends we talked about 
is the idea that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Now, let me just say this. I believe that God's ways are best. The, the moral code, the principles that he provides for us lead to a better way of life. It often works to live the way that God instructs us to live. However, it's not always true that obeying God is safe. In fact, it's sometimes true that obeying God places us in great danger. For one, sometimes the job he's asking us to do is to speak out against unrighteousness or injustice. People don't always want to hear that. And that's what God asks of Jeremiah, and it costs him something. In fact, in chapter 16, God tells him that the seriousness of the situation in the nation at the time, and he makes of him a very hard request. He tells Jeremiah, and I'm just going to put a few verses on the screen. I'm not going to read them. But he first of all says, don't marry and have kids. So you've got to be celibate. He also says, don't go to funerals. In other words, don't even participate in the difficult occasions in the life of the nation. And he says, don't go to parties. So Jeremiah is told that he isn't to participate in the normal rhythm of life, both the ups and downs of life. And that's something that, by the way, God doesn't tell everyone. But in this specific case, he told Jeremiah, your job is not to do these things, but to do something else. Just because, um, and by the way, it's not universally applicable. So let's not take that as uh, what we're to do. But it does mean that following God will often cost something. Following Jesus and living it out may cost us something significant even. It may mean letting go of a friendship or a relationship that's dragging you down. I had coffee with somebody here at City Church just a few weeks ago, and he said something that's kind of stuck in my head. He said, we are the average of the five people we hang around. In other words, our character, our the behavior tends to gravitate toward the five people we spend, to spend, our, uh, spend most of our time with. It might mean letting go of a friendship or a relationship, or it might mean sticking with one that's difficult, even a marriage. Following Jesus may mean choosing to live more simply in order to be generous with what we have, whether it's money or time or skills, the things that God has given us. Following Jesus may mean serving a friend who's going through a tough time, even if the friend isn't all that pleasant to be around because of the circumstances. Following Jesus may mean regular church attendance, including church attendance in your Sunday fun day rather than sleeping in and taking a walk around the lake. Following Jesus may mean reaching out sacrificially to serve someone, even if it's inconvenient. Following Jesus may mean standing up for an unpopular position at school or work or in a backyard conversation with a neighbor. And following Jesus may mean speaking up about injustice, maybe whether it's at work, your neighborhood, or even in our city. And following Jesus may also mean personal change. So more than just what we do, who we are. It may mean giving up resentment towards someone who's hurt us. It may mean submitting to God's plan for our sexuality. It may mean tackling an addiction that's starting to consume our lives. What I've experienced is that God is always constantly changing and renovating our lives, my life as well. And it may not be, as I've already said, just about what we do. It may be who we are, growing to be more loving, more kind, more humble, more gentle, more faithful, and more self-controlled. Jeremiah models for us how to do this, even when it's hard. And the additional challenge for him is the hard request that God also, uh, gives him also makes him very sad. He has to confront his fellow citizens with all the junk in their lives, and it broke his heart. Here's how he expresses it in chapter 8. Verse 18, he says, You who are my comforter in sorrow, 
my heart is faint within me. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Then chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Just notice his tenderness, his compassion for the suffering of his people. He knew judgment was coming. He knew that it was just. He knew it was deserved. And yet he loved the people and their behavior made him sad. By the way, I think Jeremiah is expressing here the heart of God. Even when there is a time when judgment's necessary, it is not something that either God or Jeremiah entered into without sorrow. With all that God put Jeremiah through, it's a wonder that he didn't just throw up his hands and quit. In fact, he wanted to. He thought about it. One of the most refreshing things I think about Jeremiah is his honesty with God. Next week, we're going to look at a particularly trying time in his life, and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I want to tell you a little bit today about how he responded to God. And I'm going to tell you up front that you may be shocked by the kind of language that Jeremiah uses with God. Because what he shows us here is how deeply honest he is with God. This is from chapter 20, beginning with verse 7. He says, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long, and everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. So let me just put it in my own words. He's saying, God, you've tricked me, or at least I've allowed myself to be tricked. But then again, you're stronger than me. You just overpowered me. And now everyone mocks me all day long. They laugh at me. And when I speak up for you, it just makes them mad. The message you've given me to say has made me a household joke. So that is pretty honest, pretty raw. And with that, you wouldn't blame Jeremiah if he quit, if he told God to go find somebody else and he walked away. But he doesn't. What he decides is to hang in there and to show God how deeply faithful he is to him. Now, before I read what's next, let me just make a comment because I know that many of you, myself included, have maybe filled out profiles like Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinders. And uh, these instruments are designed to help us find jobs and, and skills, things that fit with who we are as people and what our skills are. And ideally, we're informed by that. We end up picking jobs or picking just even volunteer opportunities that fit more our gifts and strengths and personality. And that's all good as far as it goes. But sometimes God needs someone to do something and we might just be the only person he can find. Or sometimes there's no one who has that particular gift. In our early years as a church, we met for in a school for eight years. And we had a group of mostly guys, although not entirely, who did set up and tear down. There is no spiritual gift for set up and tear down. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. And that's similar to what God, in this particular case, asks Jeremiah to do. It's something that's not in his wheelhouse. He's not temperamentally suited to do it, but God needed someone, and he asked Jeremiah to do it. Because Jeremiah had an intimate relationship with God, he was willing and even motivated to do what God asked. Here's how he expresses it in chapter 20, verse 9. He says, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in me like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. So he's saying, as uncomfortable as it is, I can't keep silent. He says, his words in, are in me like a fire. 
I may be worn out from trying to hold it in, but I just can't do it. I have to speak up. So Jeremiah knew he had a job to do, and even as difficult as it was to carry out, he chose to obey. But that didn't mean that he was happy about it. In fact, at times, he was deeply emotional. In chapter 20, there's a sobering look at Jeremiah's emotional state at the time. And before I read it, let me just say, I want you to listen, but understand that this could be misunderstood. And I'm going to try to help you uh, put it in context. But let me just read it so you can kind of feel the emotion that Jeremiah's feeling. This begins in verse 14. It says, Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow to the end of, and to end my days in shame? Now, this can be misunderstood because some could even criticize Jeremiah for not trusting God. Sometimes there are Christians who stigmatize others who go through emotional struggles. But what we, may, what we read here is that it's clear that Jeremiah is at the minimum deeply discouraged and probably profoundly depressed. After all, he's been attacked feels completely alone, who wouldn't feel what he's feeling? And he may even be exaggerating a bit, and yet, I think it's real. He wants to quit and get a new job, and yet he doesn't. Now, that's not to minimize the emotional condition that he's going through, but it's to highlight that despite how he's feeling, he's still willing to do what God asks of him. He is deeply trusting. I've said from the first week of this series that I find Jeremiah to be one of the most compelling characters in the Bible. He's perhaps the most authentic, transparent, and honest person we know. That's why I think so many over the last 2,600 years, me included, have been drawn to him. And at the same time, he's also one of the most inspiring. Here he is struggling with some form of depression. He's asked by God to continue in a difficult job. And here he is expressing radical trust in him. Not because he feels all warm and fuzzy, not because he's on some spiritual high, but because he believes that God can be trusted. And even when circumstances are difficult, he doesn't give in to his fears and doubts. And let me just say something here for a moment. I hope you don't think that I think that doubt is sin. We've talked about this before, and I believe it. Jeremiah's life demonstrates that doubt can be an important part of clarifying and deepening our faith. We all have doubts from time to time. Some people have more and some people have less. Doubts can be emotional. Doubts can be intellectual. We have them. They shouldn't be shunned. And yet, at the same time, we can trust. We can keep putting one foot in front of the other. We can still obey God and show that even in the midst of our troubles, we can trust Him with our lives. And that's how Jeremiah reacts and has learned to rely on God. Let me read a little bit from chapter 17, beginning with verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where, there, where no one lives. What he's saying is, if you try to rely on another human being, whether it's a spouse or a counselor or a business leader or a politician, anyone, if you try to rely on another person, you will be disappointed. Then in verse 7, he shifts gears. He said, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, 
whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's really honest. What he's saying is is that the life of faith can be difficult. And we all crave certainty, but we seldom have it. I believe we can have confidence. I don't think we'll always have full certainty. Jeremiah had a choice here, whether to believe God and live by the facts that he knew or whether to live by his feelings. Now, I should say here that if you're depressed or struggling with mental illness, it is not a shame to seek help. I've gone through challenges in my life and have met with counselors. It's important to do, and you may need to do that as well if you go through a season like that. But it's at the same time true that we can follow Jeremiah's example and trust God in the middle of our difficulties. And here's how Jeremiah expresses his faith and trust in God toward the end of chapter 17. He says in verse 13, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. Do not be a terror before me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. He's a remarkable person, isn't he? Capable of deep emotion and yet clear-sighted. Honest yet full of faith. Incapable of being swayed by those around him, yet follows God wholeheartedly. He's not blind to the sin and foolishness of the people, and yet he doesn't give up hope or he, he, he's sad in the middle of all of this. He's a prophet who lays bare his soul with God. And so I think we can learn from him that doubt and emotion in the longing and disappointment, those things are always going to be a part of the person of faith, and yet God can be trusted. I think so many of us visualize God as way up there in heaven, and we're here way down on earth, and there's very little connection between those. And yet what we fail to understand is what Jeremiah learned, and that is that God is right here with us, that he wants to be in a relationship with us. And Jeremiah not only knew that, he lived it. He knew that talking with God was better than talking about God. He addressed God as a living living person, or at least a living being. He didn't view God as a waiter that you place an order with, and then you complain and maybe give them a tip in the end. Instead, He was honest with God. He spoke his mind. He let God God know how he felt, and God talked back. Things may not have always turned out the way that he hoped, but years before, he'd placed a bet on God, and he didn't look back. I once heard the story of a four-year-old whose parents were trying to teach him the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And uh, they thought they were doing fairly well until they went to a church service, and in the course of the worship service, They recited the Lord's Prayer, and here's what they heard come out of this little boy's mouth. Our Father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. So he got it all garbled. Instead of hallowed be thy name, he said, I know you know my name. And yet, isn't that really, maybe even equally profound? Jeremiah knew that God knew his name, and God knew that Jeremiah knew his. So don't ever forget that God is near, that he loves you, that he reaches out to you. In fact, his arms are open wide, waiting to receive you. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this very honest, transparent, and authentic person that we find in the Bible. One given a very difficult job, one he did not feel suited for, and frankly, probably was not. And yet he was obedient. He was honest with you. Father, help us to have that same kind of honesty and transparency. And when we're faced with difficulty, Father, we may need help, the help of others. That's help that you provide. But we also need to put our faith and trust in you and you alone, not in others. Father, may we be people who, in the midst of that, find a joy, a peace, a satisfaction in you that comes not from our circumstances, but comes from you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name.